Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the Gruppetto Report. We are live at Ruben's Burger Bistro in Boulder, Colorado. Gruppetto Report. We talk racing, we talk events, and we're here with Rick Tillery. Thank you very much, George Thomas. And our special guest for our special edition is Ben Day. Ben, thank you very much for coming back after uh, a simple one-week break. But it was an exciting one week in the world of, of cycling and the world of racing. We saw a lot of uh, very interesting things in the state of Utah. Yeah, we had the, the tour of Utah last week, concluded just uh, yesterday, We're talking Monday now. Uh, great racing once again. I think uh, Utah puts on an excellent race every year, and we see some some young talent really come through and shine and, and show the new age of, of American cycling. And we see some of the best Europeans in the world come over and uh, show us their stuff as well. So it was a very exciting race. It, it seemed to be a very challenging race this year. Uh, they branched out from some of the normal courses, and they went up into the mountains a little bit more, uh, and they used some very technical ascents and descents. What was your thought on some of the descents that we saw in the ascents, the climbs? Maybe you're referring to a, a crazy little crash that's going around social media from, uh, was it yesterday's stage or the day before? It was Saturday's stage. Saturday's stage. Uh, coming down the mountain into that hairpin turn uh, after a blind corner. Yeah. He was just going way too hot, wasn't he? I'm not a former professional. Yeah. You're a former professional. Yeah. That's why, uh, you know, you're... you're yeah. Your take on this, I think, is uh, extremely valuable to everybody who's out there listening and watching. Uh, you know, we've all formed opinions on this. Anybody who's watched this video has made an opinion. And I think your thoughts on this might shed some light and help educate those folks out there who have watched this and formed their own opinion. Yeah, firstly, I hope Matt Bremo, who's the guy who, who went down, hope he's all right. You know, that's the main thing. And Matt's got a lot of experience. He's been racing for a number of years uh, across a lot of different continents. He's from Ireland. Uh, so, you know, maybe he made a, a miscalculation. I'm not sure. You know, we'd like to expect that coming into that corner, that particular part of the descent, that there was some flags or some sort of signage out there just to warn, him, warn the riders coming through there that there was a, a couple of tight corners. You know, maybe in the race bible beforehand. And hopefully that was highlighted. So it's hard to say whether there was enough information given to the riders or not beforehand. You could see from that video clip that there were a few riders who weren't exactly taking the corner correctly going into it. Some guys did, but uh, you saw Matt come around the corner, and already he was like going very, very fast, and he didn't, he wasn't maintaining control. Like his, his back wheel was off the ground. He was already in a lot of trouble, which is why he couldn't contemplating taking the corner at all, and which is why he went straight ahead. 
into unfortunately that car some people may think that it was fortunate because they're worrying where he would have ended up if the car wasn't there um, it was like well I mean if, if you didn't see the footage if the car wasn't there there was a line of people and after that line of people it was essentially a, a rock face and that was that was it I mean he would have gone right into the rock face yeah so probably neither of those are a good scenario no. <laughs> <laughs> so no hopefully the, the information was there for the riders it's you know it's, it's hot and fast racing and everyone's very you know, it's race mode, you know, it's like riding a bike, especially in these races, going down these descents, it's a very fine line and the guys are always pushing the limits and uh, it's a, it's an amazing testament to the skills of the riders that we don't see accidents like that more often and it's hard to say whether it was a miscalculation on Matt's behalf or maybe a lack of information given to the riders coming into that particular corner, uh, but ultimately, you know, like we just... No, fingers crossed that he's going to make a, a full recovery in, in short time too. So, so he gave a thumbs up somewhere. So I saw that on Twitter. He did yeah. give a thumbs up. He he does appear to be on the mend. Uh, and, and you know, it just just having you know descended. Not, I've never descended anything like that before. But that looked. I saw an aerial photo of that turn. It was a nice gradual blind turn into that 180. And you don't really know what you're going to hit until you come around that blind curve. And it looks pretty gnarly from, from above. The thing is with roads in the U.S., they're very wide. But then when you add in the whole altitude element, the guys going down the descents, are, they're screaming. They're going super, super fast. And Whereas, you know, some of the descents in Europe are super technical, and I would like to say that they're even more dangerous. You don't carry as much speed into each of those corners because they're a lot more twistier you sort of have to mitigate that speed a lot more often on the way down whereas there's a lot of like runaway descents you'd almost call them in the states of utah and colorado coming up next week where you know there's not a lot of air density the guys are moving super fast through this air and it's very easy to pick up speed very fast so you've got to be on the brakes and you've got to know like when you need to start braking for that next corner coming up and you know in this situation Either he must have mis misjudged that corner. Yeah. Was it not enough information? I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, really. You know, I'm trying to sort of sit in the middle here. I don't know the circumstances, but, you know, like, hopefully he's all right. That's the main thing. How detailed is a race Bible? I mean, without going out there and previewing the course, reading this route book, how does that prepare you? Generally, it has a lot of information there. It, it won't. You know, it won't go to the nth degree and tell you, like, this corner will be 92 degrees, you know, off the apex or, or whatever, and you're not going to remember that sort of stuff anyway, but uh, you will, you'll read that. It's too much to take in, but your director's going to be watching, reading that when they're in the car, and they'll hopefully be communicating the important pieces of information there with you throughout the race. Once again, you know, come back to the argument, should the riders have race radios or not, they're trying to take that out of the sport because it makes the tactics too boring but there's a safety element you know there's a safety element there as well that uh it's a like it's a fine line it's, it's a ris risky business and this is not the first accident that's happened and there's been a few really tragic ones so the race bible it's a really important thing for the riders to have and they'll study it the night before and they'll sit in the bus before the race start and they'll, they'll really try to identify the key points of the stage, whether it be key points for performances, results, let's say for the sprint jersey, let's say for the KOM jersey, um, but also looking for opportunities like this could be an area where we're going to have a breakaway, 
they look at weather reports. They're like, okay, so this is the, the route map. The wind's coming from west to east. You know, if it's blowing across that way, this long straight section that we got along there, we know it's going to be hard in the gutter there. We need to be alert and ready to go, go on the offensive or, you know, at least be aware of it. So it's definitely information that the riders have to have. You know, it's something that is studied the night before, even before the race starts. Like the, I'm sure there's a lot of directors at home at the moment looking at the USA Pro Challenge race bottle and making calculations like, okay, Monday, this is what we can expect. These are the riders that we really want to focus around. Tuesday, maybe a sprint stage, and I'm, it's not a sprint stage, just to go to next week. But, you know, making plans ahead, a game plan for where their particular teams can be most successful with the talent that they've got there. So it's, it's, it's a really important part. And I don't know if that it carries over into the US, but I know in Australia, we call those race bibles mockers. And mockers? Yeah, mocker, yeah. And M-U-C-K-E-R? No, that's mucker. This is mocker, so M-O-C-K-A. Like a coffee mocker. Yeah, or something, yeah, however you want kind to spell of. it. Sure. It's slang anyway, so you spell it however you want. Mocka. And it's actually named after a champion Australian cyclist called Russell Mockridge. And so okay. apparently he brought that revolution, and I don't know if he brought it to Europe or if he brought it from Europe or whatever, but he introduced it into Australia and the race bibles with the listings at kilometre point two, you turn right. At kilometre point seven, watch out for the train tracks. That in Australia is called a mocker. Interesting. Yeah. You know, it reminds me, I mean, we've both worked with Ram in, in some respects, and it, it reminds me of the Ram. Yeah, that's tech what I was guy. thinking. Was the, it's, it's exactly uh, like The route that. book is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's 300 incredibly pages. Incredibly de- yeah. detailed. So, do the riders, I mean, I know you have Garmin's or computers on your bikes. How much is the course plotted out in the Garmin? I, is it at all? I don't, I don't know of anybody actually doing that. Maybe there's some guys out there who would possibly too much spare time that are a little bit too intense in their preparations that may do that and I've, I've probably just defended a few people uh, but I've never had a teammate who's done that I've never done that myself so, so you've never downloaded the route the night before and kind of obsessed over alright we've got to go here we got to go there no we'll look at the map look at the map the old, old school way I suppose do you, do you, do you still put the, uh, the cue sheet on the top two um, it depends like some teams will other teams like to encourage you to be proactive. Maybe they're lazy, maybe they're proactive. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, but if you're involved with like writing that cue sheet, out, cue sheet out, then maybe you're more aware of it. This is where I need to be. This is a little bit of homework. But it does on, seem like you, you know, if you do take the initiative to, to do a cue sheet on a piece of athletic tape, you're really putting a lot of thought into this is where I need to be. The very, very specific, important yeah. points of the race that you need to focus on. Yeah, yeah. And basic information is the sprint points, the mountains, uh, feed zone. That's very basic information. But when you get a little bit more complicated and start talking about Paris Bay, for example, with the Parve sections. <laughs> the even, sectors and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, there, there's so many of them out there. And then, like, even USA Pro Challenge last year, we had a few stages where there were dirt sections. And Utah as well last year did too. And it's like... If you're not at the front at those points, you're in a little bit of trouble, you know. So, like, you have to be aware. Everybody else in the race is aware as well. So it's a, a little bit of a, a fight to be there. But, you know, you've got to give yourself the best chances to, to stay out of the crap, you know. So looking back at the Tour of Utah, what was your favorite point from this year? Even? I was following the Saturday stage online. Uh, that's the, the stage up to Snowbird. Uh, and... 
Tour Tracker, I was watching Tour Tracker, I thought they did a great job. And one thing they had on there was like this little canter was telling you how many feet of elevation that they've climbed. He stopped at just under 15,000 feet. Oh my gosh. There's not a lot of stages <laughs> in the world at any level that covers that amount of climbing. So it was an impressive day. I thought it was a pretty exciting race. The last two days, it was a really well-balanced tour, you know. It's like the, the first five days um, were very aggressive and very difficult. Some longer stages there. No one was getting an easy ride. But it wasn't decisive to the point where you had the runaway winner. You know, it's not, if they had Snowbird the first day, maybe Joe Dombrowski would have come out and stamped his authority on the race at that point and everybody's in racing for the crumbs. But the way they set it up, it came into that final weekend and it's like those GC guys had to really like temper their exertion levels throughout the week without losing time because you know you've got to be alert and not miss the, the little splits that happen. Right. But then have good recovery and have not to have spent too much energy in their preparation for those final two days because because they were everything. And we saw you know talking about missing a little bit of time. We saw that missed up or, or asthma attack by Chris Horner really cost him, you know, a, a chance at the at the GC lead. Right. Yeah. I was just reading that uh, a couple of hours ago. I wasn't aware of that's what happened, uh, and uh, that's the truth of it. It's not a it's not a good deal. You know, it's like he, it's a, a serious medical situation that should be, you know, be provided for. And today he spoke out pretty forcefully against the UCI about. Not allow and then not being allowed a TUE, a, 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 essentially a medical exemption for an asthma inhaler. Their UCI is not going to let him use the inhaler uh, because if you know anything about asthma and inhaler, it, it contains steroids. So some people have the feeling that it, it's a masking agent. But if it's a true medical condition and it can cause serious harm, I mean. How do you fight that? Serious risk, you know, like, uh, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to sit here and, and, you know, make statements about whether he should have it or shouldn't have it or anything like right. that, but, like, it's a health of a rider to the point where he could have a serious breathing condition, which, you know, could threaten his, seriously threaten his health. That needs to be taken to, into account, you know, like, let's not play around with those sort of situations and, you know, whether or not it would be, it's not performance enhancing at that point, you know, like there, right. there's a protocol in place where they review the cases, they review the situations and they have doctors there who, who say, okay, we've got this set of data, we're going to grant the, this, this exemption for this rider for this period of time and it's something that any rider who has those sort of issues have to, have to undergo. Uh, whether there's a issue or not with the, the routine behind that, you know, maybe that needs to be looked at. I've got a question for you. I remember when Tour of Utah started, and it wasn't huge, you know, but it was a race that was very popular. U.S. Pro Challenge has to have helped out Tour of Utah. I mean, I remember talking with you and Lucas and Keel last year, and it was the prep for U.S. Pro. Has Tour of Utah ramped up its quality since U.S. Pro Challenge came along? They, they're slightly different races. I think... Utah has definitely stepped up. Uh, I didn't do it the first year. I think it was about 2006, 2005 was the first year. Uh, I didn't do it those years. It, uh, especially in the last few years, they, they've come up with the moniker of the US's toughest stage race. And it definitely could be. You know, like I remember doing it last year and it's something that you have to be careful 
to judge your condition through that. And if you look back through history and look at the results of, of Utah and then Colorado the, the, the following week, there's never been a, a winner of both, has there, in the same year? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think uh, that you could exert yourself to that fullest in Utah and then come through and still have an excellent USA Pro Challenge as well. They're so close together. I mean, you're still recovering, essentially, from Utah. Yeah, a week, a week is... In their terms, it's like these guys are racing anywhere between 65 to 100 days a year in, in an extreme circumstance. So a week should be enough in theory, but especially how heavy the climbing is in Utah in those last few days, it's really a difficult race. And if that person then misjudges the amount of recovery they need between that and USA Pro Challenge, then they can go into the USA Pro Challenge with too much fatigue already in their system they need to survive the next seven days and with the Colorado race in the last two years I've had this stage in Aspen and I can tell you that that stage was absolutely brutal um, so starting in snow bass snow bass finishing in Aspen there circuit race all at 8,000 8,500 feet and it was absolutely brutal and even though uh, 30 or 40 riders finishing that front group there's a lot of people really on the ropes and, and hurting just because it's such a high site to have such an intense race you know you have a short race like that I think it's about 120 kilometers uh, which isn't long which isn't long no. but the pace is high the pace is super high the altitude super high the oxygen is obviously pretty damn low at that point <laughs> and you've got riders on the start line some of whom will be fresh because they haven't raced Utah and other riders who are going there maybe carrying still a little bit of fatigue from Utah the week before and I think that definitely played a part in, in the last USA Pro Challenges in the last two years. And, uh, you know, we'll get onto that uh, later on, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how that first aid in USA Pro Challenges here pans out. It's the circuit race once again in Steamboat Springs this time, so the elevation's a little bit lower. But no one really knows how difficult it's going to be. Everyone always underestimated that snow mass and aspen first stage. Let's see what happens in that first stage in, in Steamboat this year. I always have a problem when someone says, we're the toughest. <laughs> Not to offend, but yeah. it's like, you know, depending on what your skills are and your fitness, maybe it's not the cause. <laughs> and the riders make the race. Right. You know, like you see some of these crazy stages that they have over in Europe, in, in the Giro d'Italia, for example. There's so much climbing in those races. The riders, like, look at each other, think that it's crazy, and they make a, a, a deal with each other. It's like, we're not going to start racing to this point. Or, or they're just going to mitigate their, their energy expenditure energy expenditure you know and that's the thing it's at the end of the day you need to have a course where the riders can be aggressive and, and put on a great show and really let's see who the, who the strongest person is that it's not always necessary to make the race the toughest just through terrain alone because the riders can more than make up that and weather conditions as well is also a big element to throw into that as well so I'm curious, I want to go real quick back to Saturday stage as you were watching the tour tracker and seeing that counter climb past 15,000 feet. Were you a little sad that you weren't there? The way I'm riding at the moment, I was pretty damn happy about it. <laughs> yeah, I was just losing breath on the couch. So. I think that pretty much everybody who's not at that top, top, top level would be losing breath. I just I can't even fathom 15,000 feet in one stage. Uh, it's a it's a solid day. And finishing up Snowbird, it's a 
that's a difficult day. And then I think the weekend was just excellent racing. Coming into that last day, Empire Pass is uh, one of the steepest climbs in the Tour of Utah. And then it's a really exciting descent of that. And it's a different element, you know. It's like quite often you won't see a race finish in that aspect. We, I think we have different definitions of exciting. Um, I, I think Empire Nail Pass lighting. is a little scary sometimes. Uh, it's, it's, but that part of Utah is just incredibly gorgeous. You know, just going there, seeing the steep climbs. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful area, and I can't wait to see these teams next week take on the Pro Challenge. I gotta say, Dombrowski finishing that stage with that smirk on his face was classic. <laughs> <laughs> He's and the day good. before, I, you know, I gotta say, I've I've kind of followed Joe since he was with the Haymarket team in Northern Virginia, and I, I knew him back then. And to see how he's progressed from that point to where he is now is incredible, and it's it's a beautiful thing to see somebody come that far from from where they started. Big talent. He's a huge talent. Right, his first Grand Tour, Vuelta. I think. Yep, is he is, he is, is, is going to do the Vuelta okay. this year. Okay. Uh, they announced that uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday that they was going to do the Vuelta. That's incredible. But he's, I, if I remember correctly, he's not doing Pro Challenge. No, no he can't do both. both. No, he yeah. can't do both. It's interesting. Like Joe is a great example of the, the necessity for development, right? So he came along and he showed himself. I think it was what three years ago now in uh, Tributa. Him along with uh, Ian Boswell. It might have even been earlier than that. Maybe even four years, five years ago. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Young kids coming along and like kicking all the older guys' asses, you know. It's like, who are these little whippersnappers? Obviously, they've got a lot of talent, but you know, they got snapped up by the big teams. They spent some years in Europe, uh, you know, it was with Sky. It's, uh, it's a big change, you know, it's like such a big culture shock. You got to learn to live away from home, you got to learn to speak a different language, you got to work, learn to work within a different system where. You're not the only rider. You're not. You're not. You don't get so much of the attention anymore. And it's a dog eat dog world, you know. It's like riders like that going over there. They need. They need time to learn some resiliency, learn how to live, and give themselves time to develop all that, just so that their talent, their, their obvious physiological talent, can come through and shine again. And Boswell, if he gets named to Sky's Vuelta team, we're actually doing daily updates with him from the Vuelta. Oh, very good. On uh, over the top, so okay. yeah. No inside word on that yet. Not yet. Not yet. We were covering him in the tour of Poland. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, he and Joe were together on Sky and yeah. stayed at our house. So U.S. Pro Challenge a couple of years ago. Yeah, so, great guy. Yeah, cool. It, huh? it is nice to see. You know, since since Joe has left Sky and gone to, to Garmin and now Cannondale Garmin, that he's been able to uh, spread his wings a little bit. 
you know, he's, he's coming to his own. You know, at Sky, he had to be a domestic for somebody else. Now he's been able to be a, a designated team leader. And that's something that I think that he's probably always wanted. And now he's able to do it. Every team's a different fit, you know? Like, depends. You, as a writer, there are rarely opportunities for you to say, I want to go to that team because this is going to be the square peg in the square hole sort of situation. It, uh, honestly, that, that's a luxury that doesn't often happen. So the riders will go to the teams that gives them the best offer. Maybe they weigh it up between two or three different different teams and say, okay, this is the best one in terms of like uh, my development process or, or who knows how what, what thought process goes behind that. But it doesn't always pan out to be the best career path for them. You know? I, like to, I like to view it as a career path and sometimes these guys need to step off to the side and find a slightly different direction and it looks like Joe's happy. You know, he's been given a different role within the team. Maybe he's getting a little bit of a different attention from the right people. Uh, maybe he's not lost in, in the wash so much. Uh, maybe that's what's going on. Or maybe he's just figured out how to work within the system. It's hard to sort of know exactly what's going on, but obviously the, the Garmin Canada situation for him at the moment is a good one for him, and uh, he's, he's starting to really show his talent again. It's, it's great to see. We've had a number of questions come in on Facebook. We'll get to those in just a minute. This is the Gruppetto Report. I'm George Thomas. We are at Ruben's Burger Bistro in Boulder, Colorado, with Rick Tillery and our special guest, Benjamin Day, and enjoying some Cheers. beverages. Yes, very much so. I'm having the light beer. A light beer. Very light beer. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, drinking also, it with a straw, uh, don't judge me. Yeah, I put the straw in there, sorry. I was trying to be you know, courteous. Uh, we're also taking uh, Twitter questions. We'll also take Twitter questions the week or two weeks up to the next show. So if you have any questions you want to ask us or you want to ask our guests, we'll publicize who the guest is going to be, and you can get us the questions, and then we'll formulate them, and we'll get them asked to our guest. So we have Facebook questions. Yes, we do. From Mick Walsh in Seattle, Washington. Uh, he would like to know what the training plan is between races. Well, so <laughs> let's be specific for this week. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. I just uh, met with one of, one of my riders, Lachlan Morton, here uh, half an hour ago. And the MO this week is recovery. You know, Utah was a huge race. Uh, it's a big load, and the guys need to make sure that they're getting rid of that load before USA Pro Challenge starts next week. The tricky thing is that if you can, if you rest too much, your body shuts down, goes into this mode of recovery, and you feel really sluggish, and it's hard to get going again. So, so with a lot of the guys, we're reviewing the week as it goes on, see how the recovery picks up, and get some qualitative feedback. You know, how are you feeling today? How are your legs? And then Thursday or Friday, we'll be looking at doing like a longer ride with just a few smaller efforts, but we're not trying to get better at this point, we're trying to get rid of all the fatigue at this point, because that's going to be the limiting factor for USA Pro, Pro Challenge next week. So you really don't want them at altitude right now, do you? Not necessarily, but at the same time, it will put them into the situations that they're going to be dealing with for all of next week. Utah is an altitude race, Colorado is the altitude race. It is USA Pro Challenge is a, a race that has some of the highest finishes in the world. I, I don't know of any other races that have such high mountain passes in, in, the, in the actual stages. Uh, Independence Pass up to A Basin, you know, Arapaho Basin, 12,000 feet, I believe. Independence at Aspen, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we've got a couple of days where we're kicking over 12,000 feet and uh, that's gasping for air sort of stuff. And it's a very, like, 
that compared to 8,000 feet even, that's, that's a big difference. So the guys being up there and as long as they're getting good recovery and good resting up there, it's a good chance for them to, to really settle into the high altitude stuff. So that, when, I know that during the tour when you get up to 2,000, 2,500, 3,000 you know, a lot of the, that's a big deal for the tour, right? Thank you for talking meters because that's my preferred language. <laughs> well, that's the language of the tour. So, True. you know, you have to, I know that we're in America and that we have yeah. to, like, really do a lot of math in our head. The metric system makes so much more sense. You know what? I'll, I'll go on record and say I agree with you. Uh, I believe that we should be on the metric system except for temperature. Why? Centigrade makes no sense. 100 degrees is boiling point. Got a couple more. <laughs> Let's keep rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I stumped him. <laughs> You're right. I just, I, you know, it, I think for for those of us who grew up with with temperature in Fahrenheit, it just makes a lot of sense. And and that's a, a, you know that's something that they're going to have to deal with here as well. You know, we're Colorado. They're going to be at altitude, but it's still the possibility is very good that it's going to be very hot as well. Last year it was very cold, raining, well, it was sleeting on you. I right. remember that was some... It can change like it yeah, was so fast. I remember going up to Yenzi last year uh, and there was no shut up legs come in. It was like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> going into Breckenridge, uh, at that point it was like, couldn't feel your hands anymore. Uh, counting down the days to retirement and really loathing every minute of it. Then the sun came out and it all was good again. But it's August in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> in the Rocky Mountains. There are many of people that have been snowed upon up there. You know, it's, uh, there's still a fair bit of snow up high. You know, it's not, there's not so many flurries coming through, but you never know when that afternoon storm comes through and, and drops the temperature to 40 or 50 degrees. And if you're not prepared for that, it's, uh, it's rough. Now, it's really Mick rough. actually knew Keel when he was a junior and uh, very excited about his win in Utah. He uh, obviously did very well at the U.S. Pro Challenge last year. What do you think? Where is he in his preparation? Think he can get a stage win at U.S. Pro Challenge? And just to, to recap, uh, you're the coach of, of Kiel Reinen, so you kind of have intimate knowledge of, of how he's getting ready. <laughs> For sure. No, he's, uh, he's a guy, you know, he's my teammate the last two years as well, so we have a, a great relationship and uh, it, it goes a lot beyond like a coaching relationship we have. But, a great friendship, so it's a it's an important deal, you know. Like this is this is his career right now. We're talking about Utah and Colorado, a two big big races for him on the calendar. Gives him the opportunity to, to race well in his home state. Like he's a he's a Colorado native now, originally from Washington, uh, and these are big races for him. So he's got pressure on himself. You know, he wants to be very successful. The team's got pressure on him as well because he's, he won the first stage of the USA Pro Challenge last year, took the yellow jersey, great great result for the team, and uh, he really wants to come back and, and have the same sort of form. So we've been working really hard the last, uh, say, two months in preparation for this, and you know, a, lot of, a lot of training on the bike, a lot of training up high. He's been doing a bunch of time up at high altitudes, uh, and then preparing mentally as well. It's, it's an important aspect to it. So. I was uh, reviewing the... the stage profiles earlier today and, and it is going to be a challenging race you know even the last couple of days uh it's not going to be an easy weekend you know over over horse tooth reservoir it's not that high but that's a steep little climb and then carter lake that's also a steep little climb and then you have lookout mountain on the final day 
that's not very easy. No. It's going to be an interesting couple of days there at the end. No, well, I, actually last week I went and attended a, uh, a little celebration party with the good people of Loveland and Fort Collins discussing their stage up there, and I wasn't aware of the exact route until that point. And it's going to be a beautiful race over there. And every time I remember racing back down at sea level, or at this point, <laughs> five and a half thousand feet, it's a whole different level of pain. You know, like the guys at that point, they're used to racing at 10,000, 12,000 feet in the days prior. And then you come back down to this sea level, this, keep saying sea level, to this level again, all of a sudden it's a lot more forceful, a lot more aggressive. Some guys adapt to that really well, and others, I remember, I was, I was like really biting the stem last year. Really? Very interesting to come back down and feel that. It's a, it's a different element of pain. Like up high, it's your breathing that's really sort of, this is your limiting factor. You're like breathing out of your ears at that point. But then you're coming back down here again, and you feel this big load on your legs, and your legs are burning really, really hard as you're having to push out more power to go with the attacks and have an opportunity to create this breakaway. So. And if you could translate biting the stem for those folks at home who might not know what that means. Trans- I, uh, oh, I, on the limit. On the limit. On the rivets. On yeah. the rivet. Yeah. All those ones, yeah. Uh, so those last couple of stages will be great opportunities for Keel, you know, to, to go back to, to his race and his preparation. I think Steamboat's a, a good opportunity for him. Uh, those last two days, you know, into Fort Collins, into Denver. You know, Denver, he... That was my very last race last year, and he missed a win by, I nearly used some French I shouldn't use, by just a small bit. <laughs> a nose. <laughs> I don't know. A uh, nose, so, nose. Yeah, so that, that's, uh, that'll be important stages for him. I see USA Pro Challenge is going to be an interesting race in that. The first day is a little bit of an unknown. It's always been a bit of a surprise. I think the second day is going to be not as decisive as what we might expect. It's going to be difficult. We're going to have still a decent group of contenders there over that. Into Aspen, there's a decent descent uh, over Independence Pass, so maybe some riders will come back. I expect to see a group of 10 or 15 coming into Aspen. The two next days coming into Breckenridge, I, I really see that that's where the race is really going to be told, uh, who, who will be the winner of this year's USA Pro Challenge. And I think uh, that's going to be the big launching pad for somebody to show themselves. But, you know, it's the first day, the sprint finish in, in Breckenridge, very hard little loop once you get into the town. It's going to have some uh, good climbers coming out, coming to the fall, but they've got to back it up with a great time trial the next day. So two different elements, but I think after those two days, we'll have a good good affirmation about who we should expect to see at the top of the list. Question for you about United Healthcare. Uh, you won the sprint jersey last year. Do you know what the team's plans are for this year? What are their goals? And uh, who do you think would have a good shot at winning that? If I knew what their goals were, and I told you, I would be shot. You would be shot. Okay. <laughs> but suffice it to say, I would expect them to go on with similar aspirations as last year. You know, like I, I can't imagine that they expect that they have a true head-to-head GC contender. So stage wins are huge. So I'm sure they're going to be pushing towards stage wins, uh, and that sprint jersey as well. You know, that that sort of in the wash that that sort of pans out to be one and the same. You know, like. If the person's prevalent in the stages, then quite often you'll see them fighting for the sprint jersey. Just like in Utah last week, it was uh, Keel had the sprint jersey up until the last day when Bookwater finally took it over with uh, his second place in that last stage. So that's what I expect to see of UHC next week. Um, it's a great race for them. The guys are pretty excited for it, so I'm sure they're going to they're going to show up well. I saw a number of pros out training on the Peak to Peak Highway this past weekend. 
it's just fun seeing so much energy. Well, it's interesting. I mean, my office, uh, my, my day job office is just north of Boulder on Highway 36. So you, you see more and more over the week has progressed more team riders that are in town for the Pro Challenge up here trying to get used to the altitude. It, it, it really, for somebody who's coming from Europe, can take a toll physically if you're not ready for it. And it's underestimated. I'm sure it is. There's a Tour de France can, or, you know, from a couple of years ago came over, over here underestimating the uh, effects of 12,000 feet, 4,000 meters. And uh, yeah, he didn't win the Tour, did he? So. No, he didn't. Um, so this sort of leads into my, my next question. You probably looked at kind of uh, some idea. Well, they, actually, I, I, the start list haven't been released yet. No. Um, so it's, I guess it's a little premature to ask if you have a, a pick, but there's probably some names out there floating that, that might yeah. be here. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's a little bit of an open race. We have some riders that have been here in the past who have been dominant forces, the TJ Van Garderens, the Tom Danielsons, those riders are not going to be there at the race this year, so it creates a lot more of an open field. Mm. Uh, Dombrowski's gone over for the Vuelta. Um, you know, we've got some riders heading back over to Spain for that race. So it's going to open up an opportunity for some people to come through and really shine. Um, I think, like a, a Matthew Boucher, who's done really well in the US before, he could he should be a good challenger. I think we're going to see the domestic teams actually have a really good run again, just like they did in Utah. I think the Hincapie team races uh, super aggressively. Uh, I'm always impressed by their performances out there. BMC will no doubt have a contender there. Uh, you know, talking about domestic teams who've had uh, an impressive run, Action has been uh, Axion, if you're not familiar with the actual pronunciation. It's, it's spelled Axion, but it's pronounced Action. Uh, they've had a really, really good run. Even Logan Owen winning uh, a stage. That was that was a nice surprise. He's been doing very well. Hats off to Axel Merckx. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, you know? he really does. Him and uh, Reed McAlvin over there, they've always produced uh, a great development pathway for these riders. I'm a big fan of what they do and seeing those riders progress through those those teams and, and on to these big pro tour teams, world tour teams, like the Dombrowskis, like the Boswells. It's uh, we owe them a lot. We owe them a lot for what we're seeing in the sport now. They're, they're really providing a great pathway for these riders. And it's something that I think the US sometimes misses is a good development pathway to Europe. It's a big jump. It's a really big jump. Well, Team USA does have their house over in Belgium. That you know that, But that's, that's, it's a small percentage of, of the people who can get over there and race. And not everybody can get accepted into that program. These are the, so there are now other pathways to, to be able to race at that level. And it's, it's nice to see. And just talking about other GC contenders, you know, Phil Guyman has proven himself in the past. Um, I know that he's, he's been here off and on trying to get acclimated to altitude. He's been trying to get acclimated to altitude in California. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how he does. Phil's a really talented rider. I think he, uh, he's shown himself in the last few years that he's done some amazing things. I've never seen him uh, have a lot of prowess at altitude. You know, like he's always played a great team role, not to ride him off or anything like that. I think his teammate Mike Woods, who showed himself so well in Utah last week, will be uh, he'll be he will he'll be in Europe next year, surely. Like with a really? guy with a talent like that, 
I don't I have no inside knowledge about that or anything at all but like he's showing some amazing abilities for a guy who's pretty new to the sport obviously has a little bit more to learn but man he was he came pretty close to winning that thing and he's from Australia correct? no Canadian Canadian sorry yeah. uh, uh, the Commonwealth country yeah, we, well, <laughs> they don't play cricket though I don't know maybe they do but not very well I don't I think they play uh, curling instead of cricket what is that anyway? It's ice. Yeah, yeah. Weird. It's, it's 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 fun to watch. And a broom. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. a broom. And yes, a broom. Uh, it, it is an interesting sport to watch during the, during the Olympics, uh, as long as you have how a many, beer. How many whiskeys in you at that point? <laughs> no, I you know I don't do whiskey. It's 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 beer it's for me. Beer. Okay. Yeah. So I, I have I have friends that, that do only whiskey. I'll stick to the beer. Well, to wrap things up. Yes. What uh, any other races you're really looking forward to following this fall? Uh, it's been a really busy summer and coming into the fall now there's been a lot of preparation of a lot of riders getting ready for their events Tour of Poland just wrapped up on the weekend that's always a big tee off for the Vuelta so the Vuelta España starts on the 22nd I believe of of, of August Uh, I will have a few of my athletes will be over there racing that and uh, it's a a little early this year it, it's it been early the last. Little early, yeah. It's been a little early the last couple of okay. years, uh, just because the worlds, I believe, came in a little bit tighter, a little bit closer. So uh, it kicks off, kicks off at that point. Um, it's something that you know I've had a lot of attention on, just in the preparation of my riders for that. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be a pretty brutal race. So uh, that Kona Ironman in uh, October. That's uh, I call that one a business trip. I'm looking forward to that one. So. You're you're going to Hawaii on a business trip for Kona. Yes, <laughs> a lot of hard work to do. Yeah. Business trip, business, yeah. lots of business. Mm-hmm. We're just getting that on the You'll record. Be yeah. Conducting yeah. that yeah. from Maui. Yeah. yeah. Hey guys, I'm the one drinking the light beer. You guys are drinking the heavies. <laughs> right? Who's business here? I, this is business, yeah. right? This is a write-off, isn't it? Cocktails on the beach. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Well, it's been a lot of fun having you. Thank you for coming Pleasure. back just after a week. Uh, it's been that was I enough think, recovery for me. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you don't like being on camera? <laughs> hey, Gruppetto Report, Rubens Burger Bistro, Boulder, Colorado. Come join us. You can uh, Facebook us some questions at Over the Top Cycling, and uh, also hit us on Twitter. Love to have your questions. We will let you know what our topics are coming out. And you know, we're we're also gonna have guests here at Rubens if you'd like to come down and watch this done live. It's uh, it's open. There's no limitations. We'd love to have you down here to watch us. And, and good we drink prices beer. on food on Monday nights for cyclists. Right. For cyclists, those in the cycling industry, if you'd like to come down and, and partake, that would certainly be a lot of fun. We, we enjoy crowds. It's uh, interesting. You accept donations? Uh, that's your word for it. I'm not gonna say anything more. I got about a that. quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I I have no comment on whether I'm good at quarters. For Rick Tillery, Benjamin Day, I'm George Thomas, Boulder, Colorado. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.